you to uh, remind each other of the gospel, the good news of the person and work of Jesus Christ who came and made a way for us to be in right relationship and know you, our Father. The good news is that we are children of God, that we are your sons and daughters, and that you love us deeply. And so, Father, I pray that we would see your heart this morning. I pray that we would see how great the love is in your heart for us, that you would send your only son for us. I pray that you begin to have our our minds comprehend and our hearts to understand so that as we go from this place, we'd be able to, to walk with understanding and to walk in obedience. I pray, Father, that this morning you speak and you say the words that you would have said through what we do during times of music, what we do right now during the message, through our prayers, through our communion, through everything that we do, say what you would have said. And then have each of our ears hear what you would have us hear so that we would know you and praise you and go from this place proclaiming the gospel. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So like I said, the holidays are, are upon us. Uh, so I thought I would ask or get us thinking about what our holiday traditions are. Like what's your holiday traditions? Uh, maybe you are leaving like directly after this service. I don't know, some of you might be. Some of you might be leaving tomorrow to go out of town, to go back home, see some family, spend some time together. Some of you might have people coming in town uh, to come and see you here. Some will cook a turkey in an oven, which is wrong. And then some people will smoke a turkey or fry a turkey, which is right. Uh, but we, you know, teach his own. If you want bad turkey, that's your problem. Uh, maybe some people will be getting up at like 2 a.m. next Friday to go shopping. I don't get that either, but uh, Black Friday's coming. It's a thing. Uh, some people just enjoy doing that and getting trampled, and that's fine. Uh, also, Cyber Monday is coming. I don't know what Cyber Monday is like. I mean, I, I've never bought anything on Cyber Monday, but I have this, I think it's like Black Friday. I mean, I know that there's a bunch of sales on the internet, but I assume that people stay home in their pajamas and just stay on the internet shopping all day, or maybe they just go to work and use up all their work internet. That's a thing uh, to go shopping. Anyway, Cyber Monday's coming. Um, our family spends a lot of time with Claire's side of the family during the season. We go up to the lake for Thanksgiving. We'll be at the lake for Christmas. Uh, family members come in from out of town that we only see a couple times a year. We spend a lot of time up there. We'll eat a lot of food. We smoke turkey. We smoke chicken. We have all kinds of, of food. It's a lot of food. We stay up late. We'll play card games. We'll play canasta. We're a big Canasta family. If you're not familiar with Canasta, uh, it's awesome. I mean, I didn't think it was. kind of sounds old or something, but I like it. It's good. We'll play a lot of that. Uh, it's a lot of gift giving. A lot of gift giving. And a lot of gift receiving. Um, there's a Christmas Eve party that we do as a family. So I think it's going to be at my house this year. But the whole family, all of Claire's family comes over. And we eat a lot of food. And then we play a game called Bunko. Are you familiar with the bunko? It's like dice, and you go around. It's, it's, there's no strategy involved. Anyways, and you go around the tables, and then whoever, you keep tallies of how many times you've won and how many times you've lost and how many bunkos you've got, which is like a bunch of, it doesn't matter. Anyways, you play bunko, and at the end of the night, almost everybody gets, wins a gift of some sort for something they've achieved during that time. Uh, so we, we get gifts for that. We do a gift exchange uh, then, and then on Christmas morning, of course, there's a big, thing at our house, and then we go to breakfast, and there's, there's, there's gifts there. This year, church is on a Sunday, so you're going to need to remember that and come to church, because, you know, the birth of Jesus Christ, so we're going to do that. Um, 
But then we'll have like a lunch, and then we'll go to another grandparent's house, and we'll do gifts there. A couple days later, we'll go up to another lake, and we'll meet some more family, and we'll do some more presents, and the kids will exchange. It's crazy. It's a lot of gifts. It's a lot of gift giving. I'm not knocking the gift giving. I'm just telling you that there's a lot of gift giving going on. There's also other parties to attend throughout the season. More food to be eaten. Little chocolate-covered pretzels. Those are good. Uh, Lots of gifts. Lights to see. Christmas music to be sung. I think some people have started already. It's okay to press play now, I think, uh, and listen to Christmas music. On top of that, our family will be throwing two birthday parties for our kids because we have two kids born a day apart from each other. So we'll be doing that. And I'm not mad about it. I love Christmas. I love Christmas. And I'm not... It's going to be super busy, but I love it. And most of us do. We like the idea of it, right? I know I don't come off like a super jolly type of person, but I mean, Christmas kind of gets me fired up, you know? Like, I just like warmth and blankets and like nostalgia and hot drinks. I, I don't know. It's, it sounds nice. It sounds nostalgic and, and, and magical almost, right? And I like that. I get caught up in the warmth and the nostalgia and the magic of Christmas, just like anybody else, like a lot of other people. But this is what I find, is that too often, none of it really points to the good news of Jesus. Like I said, I'm not mad about it, but I just want us to consider this this morning, is that too often it starts from after we leave church today, and it goes for like over a month, and it's all about Christmas, and it's all about the coming of Christ, and too often, all of our celebrations and traditions, this is just my experience with my family, uh, is it none, of it, none of it really points to the good news of Jesus. We don't really point each other to Christ through it all. And every year, Claire and I, we try to wrap Jesus like around our holiday traditions uh, so that he gets to be a part of it. But if I'm honest, it, he usually stays secondary. What do I really want from our holiday traditions I really want Thanksgiving uh, to point my heart and the hearts of others to, to Jesus, right? I want Thanksgiving to point all of us to Jesus. I want it to, to be less about what gets in my belly and more about what comes out of my heart, right? I, it has to be less about good deals on Black Friday and more about how generously we have all been blessed through Jesus Christ, I want Christmas to be less about consuming presents and food and memories uh, and become a time when we press into the meaning of the precious, precious gift of Jesus Christ coming. I want us as a church, I want this for my family, I want this for our church, I want us to wholeheartedly use this whole season of Advent to make much of Jesus amongst our friends and our families and in our hearts. I don't want the good news of Jesus to be secondary, I want it to be primary. I think that most of us do. Let's take a look at Matthew 15, 1 through 9. We're going to get into this idea that we want Jesus to be primary, not secondary. Matthew 15, 1 through 9. We're picking up. All right. It says this. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, why do your disciples break their tradition, uh, the traditions of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And he answered them, And why do you break the commandments of God for the sake of your tradition? 
For God commanded, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you've made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So it's helpful as we take a look at this, it's helpful to understand that the traditions of elders, uh, it comes from some written and oral teachings that are passed down and that the Pharisees are all about keeping, right? And and they're, they're meant to be fences around the law, to build fences around the law. So the idea is that if you don't get past this fence, then you'll never come close to breaking the law, right? Right? it's, it's a, so the idea with this particular one is it's meant to keep, uh, it's about washing your hands, right? And it's meant, uh, washing your hands before you eat. It's meant to keep a person from defiling themselves by eating something that's unclean accidentally, like by accidentally touching somebody that's unclean. They live amongst the people who aren't all keeping the law. It would be easy to accidentally come in contact. It's the idea of cross-contamination in the kitchen, right? You wash this stuff off so that you don't get the germs from that thing on the other thing. It's not exactly the same, but... That's the idea. So you build this, fit, this fence around it. So you wash your hands every time before you eat so that you never accidentally defile yourself with something unclean. <clears throat> it's really not that bad of an idea. And I think that most of us do it to some extent, right? Like if you shouldn't be eating cake because you're on a diet, you probably build some fence around that by not having cake in the house. That's a good idea. I mean, that's not a bad idea. That's, there's nothing wrong with that, about building fences around the things you don't want to do, necessarily. And I don't think that Jesus is just condemning the fact that they have these fences around the law. But, so this tradition of the elders that they question Jesus over is about one of these fences that they applied to washing hands. Like I said, so they wash their hands so that they don't accidentally become unclean. Basically, uh, like I said, it's just kind of like a it's just, I've already said that. Anyways, moving on. Jesus then, Jesus then reveals how they actually have allowed the fences that they've built around the commands to make allowances for them to break the law of God. So some men have come up with traditions and built some fences around the law, and, Jesus, and they're questioning them on those, not on the actual commandments from Scripture. And Jesus says, yeah, but you've actually made it to where you can use those to break the commands. And he kind of flips everything, up on, flips everything around on them. And here's what he's talking about particularly in this one. Is all sects of Judaism believed in honoring your father and mother? It's one of the Ten Commandments. Of course they did. And it was given also that that meant even financially supporting them. But in the traditions of the elders, there was kind of a loophole to where if you dedicated your resources to something sacred to God, then those things were dedicated to that and they wouldn't have to be used to take care of your mother and father. Does that make sense? It's a loophole around getting out of that I mean, that's not why it was put in place, but you could use it to, uh, to not uphold the commandment of honoring your father and mother. So Jesus is always, this is what I want us to see, is Jesus is always doing this. We've been seeing it all through Matthew. He's flipping everything around, right? It's like we're all flying upside down, completely unaware that we're flying upside down. But if you're flying upside down and you're unaware that you're flying upside down and you decide you want to gain a little bit of altitude, you end up nosediving into the side of a mountain, And Jesus comes along to flip everything right side up. 
We may not have even known it. We're like a turtle on its back. I assume turtles, when they're on their back, can't flip themselves over. I don't know. I just made that up. But it's kind of like that. Like we're a turtle on our back. We can't flip ourselves around, and Jesus flips everything around. But I think we have to also note that when, when being turned right side up, after always being upside down, it's going to feel pretty unnatural. All of a sudden, you would realize that people aren't hanging off the earth by their feet. Right? you'd realize that the sun doesn't actually come up, go below you and around. It actually comes up above you, that the sky's above you, not below you. It'd be like really weird to have always been upside down and then all of a sudden everything be turned right side up. If everything you've ever known is flipped like that, some might refuse to even believe that it's actually right side up. Right? It's just a, a side note. But the Pharisees come with an upside down challenge for Jesus. That's what's happening here. They come questioning him on these traditions of the elders, on these fences that they've built around the law. And so Jesus flips it right side up and challenges them to see from a better perspective. Basically, he's saying, you've made the traditions of elders primary and you made the commandments of God secondary. You're obeying men instead of God. I know you thought that you were on the up and up, that you were righteous. I know you thought you were doing something good but you're still upside down. If you're really worried about being right, you need to pay more attention to God than you do to men. That's kind of the idea. And then Jesus hits them with this Isaiah reference. Now, a quick side note before we go into this. After this week, we enter Advent. And through Advent, we're going to do our Christmas series, our Advent series is going to be going back through Matthew, back over the, uh, the, the ground we've already covered, and looking at all the Isaiah quotes in Matthew, all the way back down to Emmanuel, God is with us, right? Uh, So over the next few weeks, we're going to be going through all these different Isaiah quotes, and we're starting even with this one today. Uh, In this series, we'll actually, uh, I'm sorry, as we walk back over this, we're going to see that uh, throughout the book, Matthew either quotes Isaiah himself or highlights times when Jesus quoted Isaiah. In this particular instance, it's Jesus quoting Isaiah, and Matthew's highlighted that. Uh, And the reason that he does this, the reason I want to side note this and tell us this, is because the reason that Jesus quotes Isaiah here uh, is because it helps get to the heart of the matter with with his primary audience, with with the audience that he's speaking to, right? Uh, The people of Israel, God's chosen people. Uh, It's the function of Jesus' quote. The function of Jesus quoting Isaiah uh, is so that he can actually identify specifically with the people that he was actually speaking to at the time. And that's why Matthew keeps quoting it, because Matthew's book is written to those people as well, right? See, the book of Isaiah, just a quick little overview. The book of Isaiah makes an honest appraisal of the people of Israel in Isaiah's day. This. They continually make God secondary. Isaiah makes that pretty clear. They continually miss the heart of God's commandment. And we know this through the whole Old Testament. We just keep seeing the people of Israel like just keep missing the heart of God's commandment and they keep turning from it and they keep going different directions and God keeps restoring them and it's just like this awful cycle. But uh, we do the same thing, right? They continually miss the heart of God's commandments which is to make them into a holy nation, into a royal priesthood who would treasure the God who made them a people and spread his glory to the nations. But they continually miss the point. So God prophesies to the people through Isaiah, through the book of Isaiah, of their destruction, of their exile, of their near extinction. And it's a discipline 
He disciplines them through, he's going to discipline them through this. This is the prophecy. But also, in the book of Isaiah, he provides hope for the people that he will still keep his promises and that a remnant will remain. A shoot will spring out of a stump, it says, from the tree of Jesse, the line of David, and he will once again save his people and make them a people and a people who reach the nations with the glory of God. This is the promises he's made to them throughout the history, and this is the promise he he still intends to keep. And in Isaiah, he makes that very plain. The promise is that he's going to do it by sending a servant king to usher in the kingdom that will never fail, a savior, and it'll actually be him. It will be God with us, right? So, that's kind of just a very brief overview. But with that knowledge of how Isaiah actually speaks to the identity and des- with, that, with, that, with that knowledge of how Isaiah actually speaks to the identity and desires of the current generation, Jesus quotes from Isaiah 29. He says this, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of God. I mean, the commandments of men. I love that in this passage, it actually goes on to say that, that those who are teaching as doctrines the commandments of men are actually turning things upside down. Right? What we have to see is that Jesus quotes Isaiah here in order to completely turn things right side up and to get to the heart of their identity. Maybe it's helpful if we know a little bit about the Pharisees, but the Pharisees were all about keeping it old school. They were the conservatives. Uh, honestly, they were, they were the conservatives. They were believing that God had kept his promises to raise up a remnant. And they were part of that, right? So they were passionate about calling the people of Israel to be obedient to not lose their identity as God's people. I think somewhat determined not to be like the Israel of Isaiah's day, who made God secondary. So, drawing on this passage passage and all of Isaiah, Jesus is basically saying to them, you thought you were better than they were back then, than the people of Isaiah's day. But I've just shown you and how you've honored men, I've just shown you and how you've honored men over God, that even in your best efforts, you're exactly the same. Your heart is still far from God, and you need a savior, right? The Pharisees think they need a political influence and a king that will make Israel great again, that will rise them up, but what they really need is a king who will reign in their hearts and make God primary. They can't do it on their own. Bear with me. I know that was like a lot of little side stuff. All right, let's finish up the passage, Matthew fifteen ten through 20. He says, And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? And he answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone, they are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. And he said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands, that does not defile a person. So after challenging the Pharisees to their face, they challenge him, he flips the challenge back on them, and then he calls them into question in front of a crowd. Right? And the disciples come and tell Jesus afterwards that he's offended the Pharisees. And he says, let them alone. 
They're blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. You know, these Pharisees are the ones from Jerusalem because the local, the local groups have been telling on him. And so the Pharisees come down from Jerusalem to like kind of investigate, right? The Pharisees at this time in history, at, the, at this moment, have been gaining some influence and, and, uh, and began, been gaining some influence with the authorities, with the power structure, right? So it's no little thing that they're investigating him. It's not just like, it's a big deal that they're there asking these things of him. Right? And it's a big deal that they came just for him. But Jesus doesn't waver. He's on a mission to bring the good news, to reconcile all things to himself, and to flip everything right side up. If it's offensive, if his message is offensive, if he's offended them and it hurts the pride of those leaders, so be it. Their pride needs to be undone, and the people who are following Jesus need to follow the one leader who's worth following, Jesus. Right? But he delivers this right side up principle to the crowds in this passage. And this is what I think is important for us today. It's this, in Matthew 15, 11. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. It's what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. On down in verse 18, he says, uh, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. See, all the fences built were keeping stuff from getting in, from getting too close to the law, and defiling a person, but the heart of the law was about changing the heart and changing what comes out of a person. Jesus says that evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander come from the heart. In other words, like all of the evil stuff that's in us comes out and defiles us, and it defiles all those that are around us, right? And that's what God is changing. That's what God's about changing. That's what Jesus came to change. He came to change the heart so that what comes out of the heart is holy and what comes out of our mouth is holy and what comes out of us is actually God glorifying and God honoring. Matthew's been making this point throughout his gospel. Like we've looked at it several times. Good trees bear good fruit. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. The Pharisees needed Jesus. The crowd needed Jesus. And we're no different. We need a right-side-up perspective. We need them to change our heart because what's in the heart level has to change in order to change the fruit. We've talked about this several times. But I think it's good for us, it's good for me particularly, to dwell here for a moment as we enter into the holidays. Uh, it's not because this passage has a lot to do with Thanksgiving and Christmas. I'm not trying to stretch it to meet our timing. That's not the idea. Uh, it has nothing to do with Christmas and, and, and Thanksgiving, does it? But I mean... Christians just hijacked Christmas from pagan practices in order to point people to Jesus anyways. So obviously this passage doesn't have anything to do with that. But that's pretty awesome, if you ask me. Like, that Christians hijacked people's holidays so that they could point them to Christ. That's awesome. I think we need to do that again to it, because I think it may be, like I said, maybe he's secondary in it these days. I think we need to do the same thing to Thanksgiving. It doesn't really matter what it's supposed to be about, honestly. It needs to be about remembering all that we've been blessed with, all that we've received, and it's, it's about remembering all that we've been given through the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's about cultivating, embracing, and exercising a heart of gratitude and generosity over a heart of want and greed. We need to dwell here for a moment because this season highlights how much we are like the Pharisees in this story. This season of Thanksgiving and Christmas has a tendency to highlight how much Christians in America today are just like the Pharisees in this particular passage. Think about it. Why do, why do Christians 
get up in arms about people not saying Merry Christmas. Right? Like, why did we get so offended about Starbucks cups last year? Do you guys remember that? Was that last year? It was sometime. We got really mad, mad about Starbucks cups. Why do we slap his name on all of our, our Christmas cards? Uh, what's, that, what's actually being demonstrated in our holiday celebrations that, mean, that, matter, that makes it that matter that much? Right? We get really mad about people not saying Merry Christmas, but then I guess the question is, like, well, what's actually being demonstrated in our actual traditions, that we, how we actually celebrate Christmas? It begs the question, like, what if Jesus was here and he didn't play it the way we'd play it, right? You know, right before this passage, Jesus is, like, amongst a bunch of people, and they're, like, just getting all around him and touching his garments and being healed. So really what's happening is, like, the Pharisees come, people are touching Jesus' garments and being healed and and whatnot, and they're like, hey, uh, that's nice. We noticed that you you wrote Merry Xmas on the Christmas card. Right? Why didn't you write Merry Christmas? I mean, I feel like that's kind of where we're at today. Like you just walk in a room where Jesus is healing people who are just touching him. You're like, oh, that's... You wrote Xmas. That's messed up. You know you left off your name? You know? I wonder if he'd flip it around on us. Maybe he'd point out how we neglect to share the gospel by caring for those in need around the world while we slap his name on presents, on our big TVs, our game systems... I know everybody in here is getting a new Lexus with a big rib, red ribbon on it, right? That says Jesus on the ribbon. I'm not hating on that. I'm not hating on big gifts. I'm not hating on gifts. I don't care. Give gifts. I'm not hating on that. I like them too. But I think that the question for us as we move into the season is, is the good news of Jesus primary or is it secondary in our traditions and in our celebrations? Or our traditions today, our holidays, or, or anything else, including coming to church and doing this, because it's just a tradition, the thing that we do. Are they really propelling us to treasure God? Or are they tools for gathering treasures and using God? I think that's a hard question. It sounds really blunt, but I mean, I think it's something we really need to consider. Are our traditions, our holidays or others, propelling us to treasure God? Or are they tools for gathering treasures and using God? Is Jesus the treasure of our heart? Is Jesus the treasure of our heart or do we just want his name on the wrapping paper of the box that has the real treasure inside of it? Right? Let's hear the good news. There's good news in this too. Jesus isn't condemning their traditions here. That's not the point of this passage. What he's revealing is that they've made their traditions primary and God's commands have become secondary. The whole purpose of the traditions, remember, the whole purpose of the traditions was to elevate the commands in such a way and build fences around them so that they wouldn't ever get broken. That was the point. I think if we talked in terms of gift cards, tis the season, right? If we talked in terms of gift cards, uh, the traditions would be the money on the card, right? And the commandments had kind of become the logo on the plastic. Does that make sense? I mean, who cares about what the the plastic looks like? I want the money, right? I want the, the, the coffee money. This is what it means when he says they honor him with their lips, but with their heart, but their hearts are far from God. They're happy to stamp his name on the card. That's nice. But he doesn't actually have say over how they spend the money or how we spend the money. 
I don't think there's anything wrong with celebrating Christmas, Thanksgiving, Lent, Easter. I think we ought to. I think we should. I think we should take them back. I think we should go take others. We should like hijack the 4th of July and anything that we can to point to Christ. That's the whole, we should be doing that. I just want us to see that it's all about our heart because we can wrap our sinful hearts in Christian traditions, including coming to church and doing the the, the Christian church service thing, and we can still completely miss Jesus. And the heart will still be filled with evil and the heart will still be far from God and will still be just like them and will still be just like the ones that were way back in Isaiah's day. It's possible, this is my point, it's possible for us to celebrate the coming of Jesus. It's possible for us to have celebrations that celebrate the coming of Jesus who came to live and die to transform us and still make him secondary in our celebrations and completely miss him. I know it's possible because I do it every year. I would like that to change. I've wanted it to change. I've tried lots of things to change it. But if anything, Jesus just reveals in this passage that it really isn't about what you do before it's about what's in your heart. Right? This is the good news. You can't hang enough apples on an orange tree to make it an apple tree. Like with little twist ties or something like that. You can't actually make it change the type of tree it is. It has to be an apple tree on the inside before it bears apples on the outside. The heart change comes before the doing. And I think that anytime you hear, anytime when there's a challenge, we're like, okay, well, what do I need to do to fix this? Maybe you're right. Maybe we do need to change. Yeah, but it's about the heart. So how do you, how do you mess with the heart? Well, what Jesus does throughout this passage is flip things right side up so that people can actually see from the right perspective, right? He flips the challenge back on the Pharisees. It's like you, you're questioning about the traditions of elders, but you're forsaking the commandments of God. And then he shows them and brings, them and, and just, uh, brings their focus in on that. He draws the crowd away from the upside-down thinking and upside-down principles of the Pharisees and flips it around and leads them to himself as a leader. And he's still calling us today to see rightly. A few months ago when we were in the Sermon on the Mount, we heard what Jesus said there, to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. This is important. This is, this, is in, this is perspective. He draws our attention to the kingdom and to his righteousness. And we can trust, listen, if we look at the kingdom and his righteousness first, if we're seeking that first, we can trust that the Holy Spirit will do the work of transformation in our hearts as our eyes meet our Lord's. That's true. He draws our eyes to him and then he does the work to change us because when we see him, things happen in our hearts. I think the call for us, as we consider how we spend our holidays, is to ask the question, is the good news of Jesus primary or secondary in our traditions? Do your traditions help you turn your eyes toward Jesus, his kingdom, his righteousness? Or do they lead you, do they lead you into humility and worship? Like, is that what is happening in our holiday traditions? This principle is bigger than the holidays, but like I said, it's tis the season, and Jesus is the reason for the season that we're entering. So I want you to leave here today honestly evaluating your traditions and considering some practical ways you can set your eyes on Jesus this season. If you want some recommendations on resources, you can talk to me. See me this week. I'll put something on the city. I think we'll get a website launched relaunched this week and we'll have like a blog that we're putting on there and I'm gonna I'll put some resources out there for that as well Uh, but we can email it you can come talk to me we can talk on the phone whatever if you want some resources we got them 
but there's also some questions in your bulletin that would be a good start to help us contemplate uh, prayerfully uh, what our traditions are now and what they ought to be. I think it's a good place to start. Just to spend some time prayerfully evaluating our traditions and considering some practical ways, listen, some practical ways to turn our eyes to Jesus in the holiday traditions. Right? Because what I've tried to do is like make my holidays, celebrate them right, and, and put things on it, but that's not, let's just find ways to look at Jesus in this season. I'm almost done. Listen. Lastly, this is the last thing, the last portion that I want you to hear me say. I want you to hear me say this. We need to enter this city, I mean this season, partying hard. We should be celebrating really hard during the season. I'm not coming down on celebrating. We ought to be celebrating hard. We, be, we should be celebrating harder than anybody else. Because when our hearts are close to his, we have more to celebrate, not less. As we turn our eyes to Christ and like he draws us in and our hearts become more like God's and become closer to God's, we have a whole lot more to celebrate than anybody else in this world has to celebrate. So we should be partying harder than anybody else. Give gifts, do all the things. Turn your eyes to Christ first. You know, Brent talked last week about Jesus's, the, how Jesus had a heart full of compassion that was genuine that equipped and empowered us in in our inadequacies and that freed us from fear and failure and defeat. And I love the story that Brent went over last week um, of Jesus calming the frightened disciples in the boat as he walked on the windy sea in the dark. That's some pretty scary stuff, right? But they shout out to him and then he says, take heart, it is I. (laughs) I don't know how he said it, maybe very kingly. That's how it comes across to me. Take heart, it is I. And that simple statement, I think, is so comforting to me. Take heart, it's I. Because he's like a ghost walking on water in a stormy sea in the middle of the night. And all he has to say is, take heart, it's I. It's me, Jesus. And it's comforting because although he's demonstrably more powerful than them because of what he's doing even at that very moment and because of all the bread he just broke and fed thousands of people and whatnot, he's demonstrated more powerful than they can even begin to comprehend. And he's, able, he's probably able to just end them, you know? He's probably a lot scarier than a ghost, really. Uh, what's great is he says, take heart, it's I, and they don't think of, like, he's more powerful than me and he could end me and they get more scared. They, they know it's him. They know his heart is full of compassion. They know that he's good and that he does really great things. And so they're comforted. Comforted enough to where Peter says, oh, okay, can I come out of the boat? That's messed up. I mean, anyways. So, take heart, it's I. It's very, very comforting. The good news is that he's for us. He's not against us. Right? The good news is that he's for us. He's not against us. And that we can actually have a heart like his. Like that's what he's about. He's actually here to make our heart like his. And so we can actually be like him. He wants to make us like him. He wants to do that work in us. To make us like him. And he has the power to do that. So when, he, when you're afraid and he says, take heart, it's me. It's like, oh, well you can walk on water and you can break bread and you can change people's hearts. And you can transform me. It's an inside-out transformation that starts with looking at the heart of Jesus. 
It starts with looking out to Jesus and hearing, like, take heart, it's I. And knowing who he is, like knowing his power and knowing what he could do to you and then knowing what his intentions are for you, that it's goodwill toward man, right? We see the compassionate and good heart of God. And the Holy Spirit will use that to change things in us. He'll use it, use it to humiliate us, to humble us before him, to lead us into worship of him as he shows us his compassion. It'll, he'll change our hearts. He'll help us to see the good news at the heart of his commandments in light of his, good, of his kingdom work. This is the takeaway. If traditions are meant as reminders of who God is and what he's done, if your holiday traditions are meant to lead you to the heart of God so that you can remember who he is and what he's done to set your eyes on Jesus. And they can be good. Those are good traditions. Those are good celebrations if they take you into the heart of Jesus. But if your traditions are obligations to keep, our focus will be on keeping those obligations. It'll be on being at the parties. It'll be on stamping every card. It'll be on crossing every name off of your gift list, making sure everybody's bought for. It'll be to see every light, to sing every Christmas carol, to get everything that you can in to make sure that this is a magical season, right? And you have to Instagram the whole thing as well. If your traditions are about meeting obligations, then you'll make sure you do all those things and it won't be about the heart of God. And our celebrations and our traditions can actually end up working against us. Right? So just what I want us to do today as we go into the Advent season is just a pause. Just before it all gets started. It's going to start immediately. So I'm asking you to start to actually do this like today. To take some time and to consider these things. Are your traditions leading you to get all that you can or to give all that you can? Are your traditions leading you to look at Jesus and see the heart of God? Are they leading you into humility and worship? And ultimately, is the good news of Jesus primary or is it secondary in your holiday traditions and celebrations? Those questions are in the bulletin. I just think it'd be helpful if we all just took a moment and let Christ confront us and flip our perspectives before we head into this season. Like I said, we'll move into a, a, a series where we're going back through Isaiah, so we're going to look at, I mean, back through Matthew and looking at Isaiah's quotes in there. I think it'll be a really good time. We'll put some resources out there on the city and on the website and on social media so you have some resources, maybe even some devotionals, things like that to help you turn your eyes to Christ. But think through the things that you already are planning and all the things you're stuffing on your calendar. You don't have to cross them all off, but how are you going to turn them, make them into a way for you to turn your eyes to Christ? And how are you going to make it to where you can turn other people's eyes to Christ? That's the idea. We're going to move into a time of response. It's maybe you know, a good time to start contemplating some of these things, uh, to be prayerfully thinking through them. Uh, every Sunday we come down the middle aisle. Please come down this way and then go out this way. And you'll take the bread and dip it in the wine of the juice. And when you do this, we're remembering that Jesus is who he said he is. That he came. God came to be with us. And that he lived a perfect life. That he died a death. That he rose again and he rose to the right hand of the Father so that he could usher us into right relationship with him and that he could set up a kingdom that's once and for all going to be right so that the the commandments of God will be on our heart and that we'll be close to the heart of God. We remember that he is who he says he is, that he's done what he said he would do 
And so we're proclaiming that to one another as we do it as well. And so if you're a Christian, we just invite you to come do that with us, to make that proclamation together. If you're not a Christian, we'd ask you not to. Not because we don't like you or we want you to feel left out, but because you can't say that right now. We want you to be able to say that. We want you to be able to say that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. So I ask that you hear what we're saying. Jesus has transformed our hearts. He's changed us. The things that are in there, not, well, hey, we're not perfect yet, but he's changing us. Like we're, it's not all about evil and whatnot in our heart. There's Jesus is starting to come out of us, and it's nothing that we could do. It's something that he did on our behalf. We're saying that to each other. We're saying that to you. So if you want to, you can grab somebody. There'll be people in the back for prayer as, excuse me, as well. They have orange badges on, so you can grab one of them or you can grab anybody else. Um, also, during this time, we have a, an offering basket in the back where you can worship through the giving of your tithes and offerings. Uh, and the band will come up and they'll sing some songs. And this is a time for us to worship God and a time for us, to, if you want to, to sit prayerfully and, and respond as well. Would you pray with me? Father, again, I thank you for this day. I thank you for these people, these brothers and sisters in Christ. I thank you that you're our Father and that you love us and that you're good. I thank you that And I just thank you for how good you are in light of your capabilities. We're so little. We're so vulnerable. But you love us. And you've made a way for us to know you and to be in right relationship with you. More than that, you've, I mean, you've brought us in as sons and daughters. Like you love us as sons and daughters. Thank you. Lord Father, I pray that during this time you would just turn our hearts to you, that you would, over the holidays, that you would draw our eyes to Jesus, that you would help us to, to comprehend more and more his love for us, and that he came, that you came, and that you would help us to uh, just have that overflow out of us, to proclaim the gospel to others. What an opportunity we have where the whole city is celebrating Christmas, and they don't even know who they're celebrating and we can tell them. I pray that you make our celebrations authentic and that you make our hearts engaged with you over this season. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.